man. A day in the life of a doorman isn't quite what it appears. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. It's myself, Jason Klom, and my co-host... Alan Rickard. Yes, that's right. Uh, this uh, We are so happy and lucky to be joined by Sam Music, uh, son of Lorenzo Music and Henrietta Music. Spouse, co-worker, co-writer, co-performer, uh, my goodness, everything, co, co, you're here. Co-college classmate. Co-college classmate, you did a lot of stuff together. Um, yeah, thank you so did. much for being here. <laughs> thank yeah, you. thanks for inviting us. If you can't tell, I've never interviewed anyone before. Not true. I've been doing it for 10 years and my brain has just turned to mush. Um, but yes, thank you for being here. <laughs> Let's talk a, a little bit about, um, uh, Henrietta, your life before uh, meeting uh, Mr. Music and meeting and, uh, you know, how you got together. Well, Mr. Music used to always say that uh, I was born in a Hallmark greeting card or a, a Norman Rockwell painting. <laughs> we met in college. We were in a college production of, uh, you know, this in the spring they would always do a musical and the, that year they did Guys and Dolls. And we played uh, Nathan Detroit and Adelaide opposite each other. And... Um, we we saw each other every night at rehearsal for weeks and weeks and uh and we were a gigantic hit in 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 school it was a great success and uh it was kind of the beginning of i had met him before actually but it was like where we kind of bonded and then we just started hanging out and um getting to know each other and and we became you know kind of inseparable friends and then uh we decided that we wanted to stay together forever, so we got engaged, and then he left me and and, oh. and and moved to California to make his fame and fortune, and left me to to in Duluth, Minnesota, which is where we both grew up. Um, he came from Brooklyn when he was five, mm -hmm. but I was born and raised there. Like he always says, I was raised in a Norman Rockwell painting. It it was uh, it was the ideal America of the. 50s that I grew up in mm -hmm. and um, anyway uh, we were engaged but we were separated for it seemed like a long time but it was just a fairly short time a few months mm -hmm. and I came out to California and we got together and we decided that um, we we were in San Francisco and he we, he went to the Purple Onion and auditioned with his act, mm -hmm. and they hired him. And on the strength of two weeks with three four-week options at the Purple Onion in San Francisco, we decided we could get married. So that's <laughs> it in a nutshell, very quick. Oh my goodness! I, you know, I've I've interviewed and you know uh, talked a lot about different comedians on this other podcast I do, and obviously the Purple Onion at that time is the club to to be in to try and make your name. It is obviously where, you know, the gentleman he wrote for later on, the Smothers Brothers, made their name there, too. Yes, um, they did. What was his act like? Uh, if you can give me a rough idea of what his act was at this time. Well, it, it was kind of a... <laughs> it was a kind of a cross between uh, Woody Guthrie and Henny Youngman. He, <laughs> <laughs> if you can imagine. He, he, he had... He had been. He had always wanted to be a, a stand-up comedian, and he worked at it. And he went to Chicago, and he was the he was he was the stage manager at the Chez Paris nightclub, which was a famous nightclub, like like the Copacabana in in 
in uh, L.A. or one of the great clubs in New, in New York. It was the club, and they had the, the biggest stars. Mm-hmm. And he was the stage manager, which meant that, you know, he set the license at the stage and, you know, knocked on the star's door and said, you know, five minutes, Miss Tucker. And um, he kind of learned... It was the end of a, a certain kind of show business that went away. Mm-hmm. I mean, practically as he was watching, it was wow. it was the end of what had been nightclubs of like the '40s and '50s, where there were there was a lot of entertainment, and there would be like a chorus line of girls that would open the show, and then there would be like a, a, a famous singer, or then maybe a famous comedian, and then, then the girls would come on again. I mean, it was real old-fashioned show business so he always kind of had that um he he had that song in his ear in a certain kind of way he 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 had a yen for that yet it was also in chicago where he went to hear uh josh white perform at a club called the gate of horn mm-hmm. and he heard bob gibson playing the five-string banjo and singing and he thought that he was just the most charming person he had ever seen on stage in his life. And he said, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's playing. I want to do that. <laughs> and so it it was, he, he put stand-up comedy and playing the banjo together and had this, this kind of music and comedy act. That's so crazy because normally the typical thing of the time was I'm a folk singer or I play folksy music and eventually nobody gives a crap anymore and I'm making jokes in between songs and then it becomes a comedy act. He instead is like, no, this is what I want. I want to combine yeah. these two. That's amazing. He wanted to combine them from the beginning. I mean, it was it, we, we were never serious. We were, we were never really serious folk singers in the sense that I felt silly singing, you know, work songs and all that stuff i mean i was i was a, obviously a white girl from minnesota i mean i mean it, it just didn't feel right to be singing labor songs and you know work songs and all that yeah um and you know you always said that when you went to new york you if you were like commercial folk singers you you worked at um the bitter end mm-hmm. and if you were uh uh, real folk singers who worked at Gertie's Folk City. Okay, all right. Which is where Dylan worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were in New York, and we did work the Bitter End. And you did, okay. I, I, oh yeah, and uh, Peter Paul and Mary came in after us. Oh, I think they ugh. followed us in. I mean, it was a <laughs> it was a small group of people that were working the same clubs. You know, kind of all over the country. There was a there was an actual circuit that people sort of followed when did you and lorenzo change your guys's names uh for the act like when did you know like oh this this sounds better for an act um i mean well we actually changed our names because in the very middle of the 60s kind of in the middle of the of of the hippies storming sunset boulevard kissing and hugging everybody uh there was a certain kind of spiritual movement that was going People were following the Maharishi and there were, I mean, everybody was kind of looking for something. And although I was not looking, uh, I nevertheless found, or Lorenzo found actually, and then I followed him there. Um, he found a spiritual group called Subud. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when you joined Subud, which we did, and uh, it, 
you you could get you could write to the man who was still alive then who who first experienced this 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 experience that is the spiritual experience of Subu. It, his name was Muhammad Subu Sumohari Wajoyo. Mm-hmm. A mouthful. Anyway, he uh, he would give you a name. He would uh, offer you your right spiritual name, like the, uh, the name that corresponds to your soul. And um, I, I thought, oh, that's what I want. I, I totally want that. Uh-huh. And I hate I hated my given name, which was Myrna. Uh-huh. And uh, Lorenzo's given name was Jerry, and he actually liked his name. But uh, so we were in Subu for a couple of years before he agreed that he would be willing to change his name. And then we changed our names, and those are the names that we got from the man. And um, it's it's interesting that Lorenzo's name means crowned with laurel, and it was after he got his name that his his writing career and his voice acting career and his kind of career separate from me really took off. And my name, Henrietta, which means keeper of the hearth, hearth and home, uh, that pretty much corresponded to the next 20 years of my life where I had a bunch of kids and, um, you know, my, my performing career for the most part was over. Um, although Lorenzo and I continued to work together, but the performing thing was was done, and I did become keeper of the hearth and home. So there was some wisdom to it, I guess. But anyway, that was in 1967, so that's okay. a long time ago. Yeah. Was this roughly around the time then that he was uh, working at the Smothers Brothers? Uh, let's see. When was he? When did he say? Yeah, I think he did start working at the Smothers Brothers. In 67, 67 or 68, maybe, mm-hmm. um, 69, uh, he worked He worked for Tommy and, and uh, I think for a full season and a half, maybe. And then um, Tommy asked him to go over and write for the Glenn Campbell show, which Tommy mm-hmm. was producing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wanted somebody with his own sense of, you know, music and comedy and all that to go over and and work on that show so lorenzo went there uh and that was probably 68 69 you know it's it's funny because the early part of your life so many things happen in such a short period of time sure it's hard to imagine that so many life-changing events occurred in like four years or something but Mm -hmm. it's true they did i mean our, our di- whole direction was changed in many times in, in a very short space of time. That's for sure. I'd I like guess to, that's it. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. What? I apologize with the delay. It's <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I did want to know, though. So, OK, so I did ask you what was his act like. And, and thank you for a, an amazing description, by the way. Now I can't stop picturing Woody Guthrie <laughs> meets. Uh, but uh, the... Um, what about your act together? How long, what, what years did that span and what was that like? Mm. Well, let's see. Uh, we got married in 1960. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, as I say, on the strength of uh, 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 two weeks with three, four week options at the Purple Onion. And, but it wasn't going to start until like, maybe the first of the year or something like that, or maybe the first of December or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So we drove home to Minnesota and got married. And then we drove back and Tommy Smothers said, uh, what are you going to do between now and then? And we said, well, we're going to go home and get married. And he said, well, 
what are you going to do on the way back to San Francisco? And we said, nothing. He said, well, I know a club in Denver, and uh, I bet you I could get you two weeks there. So oh he, he, called, he called this friend of his, whose name I should know, and I, it's going to elude me. And he said, could you use this guy? Yes, absolutely. So we stopped there for two weeks on the way to San Francisco. And I would go to the club every night and I would run the lights and, you know, be involved in whatever way. And because Lorenzo and I had worked in this musical together in college, uh, he knew I could sing and he knew I could perform. So eventually when we got to San Francisco, um, I was running the lights there too and you know giving blackouts for his little in some numbers and some sketches and whatever and uh we worked out a couple songs and he called me up on stage and um we performed and and you know that was it was okay and we didn't we didn't lay him in the aisles or anything and <laughs> we did it you know for another week or whatever and and finally uh the family who owned the club uh said well, the, the club booker's name was Barry Drew, and he's related to both those famous families, the Barrymores and the Drews. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he was the club booker, a, a lovely man, and he had to fire us. Oh, we we would just go up on stage and do anything, mm -hmm. and it, 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 since they had nothing to lose, and they liked it so much over so well that they hired us back. Only they hired us back for. Uh, you know, six weeks from then or two months from then. So then we just kind of started on this chain of folk clubs that existed in this little tiny little moment in history when almost every college town had a folk music club. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we went to a, a club in Oklahoma City called the Buddha. And uh, they were just opening up and uh, there were there were a lot of interesting very talented people that came out of Oklahoma, the folk, Oklahoma folk scene. Um, I wish I could read, I can't, well, there was a guy named Johnny Horton, a guy named Mike Settle. Um, the, the, there was, oh, I, I think, um, what's his name? You got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him. Okay, Rogers. Kenny Rogers? Yeah, he was part of that group. Wow. Okay. Yeah, he, he was. He was. It was. It was. It was a moment, you know, when mm -hmm. a bunch of musical, talented people were all in some cockamamie place at one time. You know, they happened to be in Oklahoma City. I mean, that's just sometimes how it happens. Um, anyway, so uh, when we got to Oklahoma, uh, we were hired as a duo. So we quickly left San Francisco, came to LA, and stayed with Lorenzo's mom, and we worked every day, worked our, our rear ends off <laughs> to get three different half-hour shows together. And we opened in Oklahoma City with three half, and we were practically down to happy birthday, but we had three half-hour shows, and um, <laughs> we were off to the races. Do you have uh, recordings of any of these shows, audio or otherwise? Oh, yeah, I think there are some somewhere. Oh, I, my God. I, I'm not... I think I think they probably have gone to. Uh, I think some there might things are in the attic, mm -hmm. and then all all of the Renzo's things, and some of them maybe his and mine also went to the um, Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Museum. Oh, good. It, oh, right, that's it, good. To hear. So I think some uh, a lot of his stuff is saved. 
Um, mom, mom, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. So, didn't you open for James Brown? Oh, we did. Holy what? Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of the myth in our family a little bit. <laughs> we did. I, I didn't know it was a myth in our family, but we, we were in it. We were in LA. We were living in Hollywood. We, we were, you know, waiting to do something, go on the road, and do. But in the meantime. Um, we would do like sometimes weekends in, in town here. They were called casuals. And uh, uh, so we were called to go someplace in Riverside County to some strange club. And we were going to open the show for James Brown, who was going to be the headliner there. And we went, okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we went out there and we thought, you know, we, our, our act by this time was, um, it was a lot of, it was sort of folk music in a, in a sort of funky kind of way. And it was very a kind of corny way, but it was political satire was, was what our humor was. So awesome. there, so it was kind of, it was kind of an edgy and off the wall kind of, while at the same time, folksy uh, act. It was kind of hardly identifiable, but anyway, we had no idea like how we were going to go over with with james brown's crowd it was like you know how, how's that going to be i hope they don't <laughs> boo us off the stage or something <laughs> anyway they could not have been a more wonderful audience they laughed wow. at everything they got <laughs> every joke they uh, they i mean they got all the nuanced jokes they got all the ways in which we made fun of things and they just got it and it was so much fun to work with them and so we did i mean we did like a tight 20 minutes or something like that and then james brown came on and we went you know to the to the back of the room and stood up and watched him work and he was a something to watch man he was like he <laughs> had it down and i mean up to and including the bows and the running off the staggering off stage and coming back with his robe on and clutching his pearls and mm. panting and oh do you really want me to give more you see how exhausted i am and <laughs> I, I mean it was just so wonderful it was like such opera i mean so and good keep cheering and oh it was just all the fun in the world absolutely great <laughs> That's Did you guys funny. hang out with him backstage at all after? No. No. It was like they had a dressing room. I think we dressed in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> we, we worked a lot of clubs where we dressed in the kitchen, I have to say. It's <laughs> uh, remarkable. Did you... Did you guys ever get a chance to, when you were researching, look at the Henrietta and Lorenzo music show? We were trying Lorenzo? so hard to find we're anything to find for it. it. We can't this find is the it. thing that we wanted to see the most. Yeah, <laughs> well, the, I have them. You do? <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, Not all of them, but some of them. I have uh, I have a lot of them, and I, was just, I just came across a bunch more in storage the other day. Um, they existed as like you know quarter inch tapes in the library of our house, and mm -hmm. then we digitized them at some point, and then I found the DVD. I couldn't we couldn't find the DVDs forever, and then mm -hmm. I just found them about oh, a year that's ago. That's wonderful. I would yeah, love about, to yeah. see yeah. those. Yeah, they're, oh, that's great. They're 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 incredible. That's remarkable. Well, if there's they're, any way that you'd be comfortable odd, sending them sure. along, I would love to see them. 
But sure. you know, that's if you're up for it. I don't know. I mean, a people have asked me if if, if how to see them. I wonder. We should we should talk about this. I mean, this is something that maybe we should put on YouTube. I mean. They need to be saved. That's for sure. Yeah. Growing yeah. up in um, in our house, you know, there was like a closet off of the living room or the library that had all the tapes of my parents, you know, like career before I was born because I was Amazing. born in 1974, mm -hmm. and it was just endless, like all the right. folk singing stuff and 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 all that stuff. So, oh. well, I'm, I'm glad Sam, it exists still. Yeah. Sam, uh, so uh, being raised as, as a little kid, knowing your parents are in the business, like, did they, like, Henrietta, did you take Sam to work at all just to, just to show him around or? Well, uh, so when my, when I was a kid, my dad was a voice actor. He wasn't doing mm -hmm. TV at all, really. I mean, I guess that's not true. He, he, uh, he had a couple development deals and he had one at Paramount, which was about, the gates of Paramount were on Windsor and we lived on Windsor. Hmm. So it was about four blocks, five blocks were the Paramount gates. My dad worked there and mm -hmm. I would go, would walk there after school and there was that an arcade and you didn't have to use quarters. You could just yes. hit a button and play them. So that was kind of fun for a moment. Um, oh, that was man. about it. But then he did voice acting and I, sort of would go around with him to the voice acting studios. My little sister, Leilani, did it, I think, more than I. And I think my brother, my older brother and older sister, I think, probably went to the sets, the TV sets, more mm -hmm. than you know I did because they weren't around. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah. So there's four in our family. We're all five years apart. Mm-hmm. I noticed yeah. that. Uh, you know what? You're a strong lady, Henrietta. We already knew that, but holy cow. You know what? You dedicated so much of your life to raising these kids. Holy goodness gracious. Um, I did. I did. I, I, I always thought I, I should be doing something more, but it took up my whole time. So I whatever I did, I sort of did like part-time or just a little bit. But it, I just kept it. I never could understand how people could raise a family and have a giant career because mm -hmm. I, I, I just never could do it. I mean, I could, I, I could do the kids and something on the side, mm -hmm. but I could never do two whole things. It was, mm -hmm. it was. Too, I probably wouldn't have had four kids if I really wanted, a, you know, a big career. Sure, sure. I, th I think maybe, maybe, maybe two or none. <laughs> 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 uh, can we I'd like to skip a little bit well it's not really a skip it's kind of a giant turn uh, career wise anyway is Lorenzo co-creating the Bob Newhart show how did that I have no idea how this even came about well this is great this is one of the great stories um, no, uh, no. Lorenzo and David were they were they were working on well, uh, the, the, the long story is that when Lorenzo went to work for for uh, Glenn Campbell, he brought David Davis on with him to write for Glenn Campbell because David was trying to be a director, but nothing was happening. So, okay, let's be a writing team. So they were a writing team for a while. Then David was hired by Jim Brooks and Alan Burns to be the line producer of Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, so, okay. so David brought... Lorenzo on to be story editor uh, with him uh, on the Mary Tyler Moore show. So they had 
they had been writing for Mary for a year, I think. Mm-hmm. And they decided that they should try to create their own show. So they went to uh, they, they went to a publication called, I think it's called TVQ. It probably doesn't exist anymore. But the networks thought it was the Bible. And it, it, it showed, it was a series of numbers and graphs that showed how popular a certain actor was with the public okay so if you had a high tvq you were somebody that the network wanted to hire so they looked at like who there was that had a high tvq that they might have something going with and they found bob newhart who had a very high tvq Mm -hmm. and it just so happened that lorenzo and his partner at the smothers brothers show had written a piece for Newhart that he liked so much mm-hmm. that he called Lorenzo and asked if he could buy it from him. And Lorenzo said, sure. So wow. it was a, it was a piece that, that Newhart had in his nightclub act. So of course he knew Lorenzo. So Lorenzo and David decided they were going to write this show for, for Newhart. And they said, well, what is, what's funny about old fashioned Newhart records? You know, what he does funny is, he listens funny. Mm-hmm. And so w- what kind of a job should he have where he listens? And we said, well, psychologist. Who listens more than a psychologist? So they kind of just invented this persona. And they said, okay, now he's got to have, he's kind of a sort of a not exactly leading man type. I mean, we have to we have to put him with a wife who is like beautiful and sexy and kind of classes up his act so he doesn't look like some kind of a nebbish. I mean, he's got to <laughs> have some kind of, you know, like something. So one night, Dave was watching The Tonight Show and he saw Suzanne Plachette on mm-hmm. with Johnny Carson. And she was funny and she was sassy and she was fun to look at and she was great. And he called Lorenzo and he said, we, he, we said, we gotta, we gotta get Suzanne to be his wife. And I said, absolutely, yes. So anyway, they finished it. They finished the, 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 the script and they, they took it to CBS because Mary was CBS. Mm-hmm. So they took it to CBS and they knew that CBS was interested in Newhart anyway. So of course they went to CBS and CBS said, love it. What does Newhart say? And they said, we haven't showed it to him yet. We haven't even asked him if he wants to do it yet. We, we don't have him lined up. So, so they said, oh, God, okay, so get him. So, so Lorenzo called him. They had a meeting. He read the script. He said, absolutely, yes, we'll do it. And they all went to New York and CBS and everybody. I mean, they, Newhart and David and and Grant Tinker and Lorenzo, they all went to New York and they sold the the Newhart show to CBS and and it was on in the I think the season of 1973 maybe mm-hmm. was the first season of it 72 73 yep. I forget I mean it all happened so fast sure but anyway yeah they said yeah well, well we're hot we should write our own show so so they did and they kind of put all the pieces together and they got a hit out of it which was fabulous. Well, and then, then so, please, sorry. I, oh, I think and, that the one other thing is that um, that the bit that my dad wrote for uh, um, 
this mother's or uh, Bob Newhart rather, sorry, um, was called the air traffic controlman. It was all about Bob Newhart. Oh wow! Is the air traffic controlman all the all the planes are coming in and he's yeah. trying to negotiate and they're about to crash and he, and there's these pregnant pauses and it's all about Bob listening to this calamity mm-hmm. and reacting um, to it and and he I, like he probably still does it if he tours and and does it. like he's still it's part of his thing. It's part of his whole thing. Yeah. Well, Lorenzo always always felt that he understood Newhart's humor because Bob Newhart was also a Midwesterner. He was a Chicago guy, mm-hmm. and and he he had a a certain Midwestern way about him, mm-hmm. and and that and Lorenzo had that too. I mean, because he was raised there, and uh, you know, well, we were raised with Minnesota nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alan knows a little something about that. Yeah, I, I'm also from Minnesota, a very small town. I've uh, driven through Duluth and stayed in Duluth quite a few times in my life as well. So. Where are you from? Uh, I My parents live in a small town called Mazeppa, which is about 50 miles southeast of uh, Minneapolis. But uh, before that, they lived in a small, very small town by Wilmer, which is about... I know Ooh. Wilmer. You know Wilmer? Okay, great. Yeah. See, we all know each other in Minnesota. I think that's what, yeah, uh, we, what that we, amounts to. We, we, we do. We have, our, we have our differences between north and south. There's sure. accent differences, yeah. as we know. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> in Fargo, they talk like northern Minnesotans. Yeah. Um, and and there, I, I have certain Minnesota words that give me away. But I, I don't I don't talk like Fargo, but I could if I wanted to. <laughs> well, it's it, it's interesting. The small town I grew up in, like you, either had a faint accent or an extremely thick accent. Uh, uh, so I don't know. It, it was just kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I I have certain words that I like. If I if I say the word stole, like stole your gear. I, I can't say it without sounding like a Minnesotan. I, I just don't know how to do it. And I have a good ear, too. Usually I can do accents, and but I cannot get that out of my 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 ear somehow. <laughs> anyway. H- Henrietta, did you I, say casserole or hot dish? That's kind of the big one. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We said hot dish. Yes, thank you. <laughs> 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 I want. I was watching. I watched something the other day that took place in Minnesota, and they said casserole. I'm like, no, no, that's not right. That's nope. not right. <laughs> no, nope, that is not right. Well, one time they were when when they there was a child told me this funny story. They they were having they were having a, a rewrite on the Mary Tyler Moore show, and, and that no, it was a, not a rewrite. It was a story conference, and. Um, they they so they were sitting around trying to figure out this scene and they said well we need somebody to come in and and, and mind you mary lived in minneapolis so he's they said we need somebody to come in like ring the doorbell interrupt the scene and somebody that would you know need something from this group and somebody said i know the pool guy <laughs> 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 I mean, 
and, and everybody said no, but nobody got how funny it was except him. <laughs> yeah, we don't have we don't have a pool guy. The pool guy. That's <laughs> even I know guy. that's wrong. That's <laughs> remarkable. Uh, okay, so I have to admit something to you. So when when Alan and I started recording last week, I made the theme song to the, this very possible one episode podcast. I had to make it uh, home to Emily because of course I had to make it that. I would like very much for you to tell me about the process of writing that song and if there are lyrics to it, because from what I understand, there you got extra royalties if you wrote lyrics, even if you never heard them on TV. Well, it it was uh, one late late one night, like maybe I don't know on a Wednesday or something, or the day before. Wednesday was always rewrite night, so it, it was probably a Tuesday night, and. I don't know. They were they were working on on New Heart, and they were putting everything together. And Lorenzo came home from work and said, um, "We can write the theme song if we want to." I mean, they 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 said we could. I mean, wow. Nobody wow. nobody else wants to do it. And that was <laughs> that was before people knew what that might might have been worth. You know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Lorenzo came home from work and said, "We have this opportunity to write the song." I said, "Okay, well." to feed the kids and and it was it by the time we got the kids to bed and dinner done and everything i was really tired and i thought i don't want to do this and and then i thought and he said come on he said this this is important we should really do it i said okay so he just sat down and started just started strumming chords just kind of just a chord progression and i started humming the melody and pretty soon we had, and I was exhausted. By the way, I was, I was like, I think I was lying down. I, he was sitting up, but I think I was actually lying down singing. And, and, and we pretty much had the melody, and then we just wrote the lyrics, and that was, that was that. I mean, we did it in an hour and a half at the most, maybe an hour, and, and then, and that was it. It was like nobody had to say yes or no. It was like, okay, that was going to be the song. Wow. And that was fine. And. And then we gave it to, um, uh, no, I can't think of his name, and I want to give him credit, who, who did the, the Williams, Pat Williams, who mm-hmm. did the arrangement. Oh, he, sure. was, he was the one that, that like, really goosed it up and did a key change. And mm-hmm. um, he, he, he took what was a, a very nice, simple melody and song and gave a gave it a little shine and a little edge and a little boost and you know i give him many points and credits for making it good i mean it is one of the greatest tv theme songs in history as far as i'm concerned um (laughs) so do you know the lyrics or do you have them somewhere i really really want to know what they are (laughs) yes i do do i know them by heart okay if you do, if you have them somewhere, then you know we could wait. <laughs> yeah, let, let me let me see. Uh, uh, talks among yourselves. Uh, <laughs> sure. Talk, talk to Sammy. Sam, you know what I well, wanted? Sammy. I wanted to ask you: Can you do an impression of your father? That's what I. Yeah. Want. Well, yeah, I can. I can do an impression. Although, uh, yeah, I was. I can do my dad a little bit. It's just really deep, and it's a little kind of drunk, and it's a little. Uh, you know, That's really just good. a little. Um, uh, when after my dad passed away, uh, the Jim Davis from you know Garfield uh, 
called me and asked me if I would do the voice of Garfield for holy sh geez. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. I said, yeah. He said, are you amenable to that? And I was, I didn't know what the word amenable meant. And I figured it meant, is that okay? And I said, yeah, sure. It's great. And, and I did it for about a year and I did a couple cat kitty litter commercials and whatever. Oh my and, God. Yeah. Wow. And then at some point I never heard from them and, um, Somebody else got the job. Wow, I because mm -hmm. yeah. I know those commercials. Obviously, I was just <laughs> I'm I'm only a few years younger than you, so I was just like probably just the right age to like for that to sink into my brain. That's crazy to me. Well, it's so funny because uh, Bill Murray got the job and right, and, right, um, and my dad. It all it made sense, I and mean, I was kind of bummed at the time, but it made sense because my dad had done the voice of Peter Vinkman in right. Ghostbusters, so he had imitated uh, Bill Murray, and then it kind of came full circle. Weirdly, although he's 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 not. I like Bill Murray fine, but he's not Garfield. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's it's a right. weird thing. He, I mean, he's also. I mean, you know, Alan. Well, He's a big fan of the real Ghostbusters. Yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit uh, last week, but um, as far as like, I was concerned. Like, if I read like any kind of story or, or comic book now or throughout my life that has something to do with Peter Venkman, I still hear Lorenzo Music's right. voice in my head reading it. <laughs> I just right. think he captures the essence of that character so well like right and, and yeah. then there's this then one of the best voice actors in the world i mean a magician is this guy frank welker yep mm -hmm. and he does garfield now and I, I can't really touch it i mean there's been times when i've been like i want to give it another shot i think i could do it i i i was sort of immature at the time and i was having a you know i was it was hard to go into a studio and try to imitate my dad you know sure a couple months after he died Oof, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, it was super emotional and i was you know immature so Oh. But anyway, uh, but Frank Welker does it amazingly. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If Frank Welker is this weird chameleon, though, who can do anything. He's been, yeah. he's been Freddy from Scooby-Doo for 50 plus years now. So it's <laughs> hard to touch. I think I yeah. even remember my dad saying Frank Welker, you know, having a deep admiration of Frank Welker, even growing up. I knew that he was the gold standard for anything voice that's know? so good to hear okay well see that, yeah. then that's 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 who should have done it i mean if it wasn't going to be you that's that's right. that's a good choice that's correct that's remarkable hey mom did you did you did you get the lyrics did they yeah. come in well you know they they didn't really come in i got the first the first uh you know four bars but i can't go on and i'm i don't exactly know where there's they exist somewhere they absolutely exist somewhere um i'm not i'm not yeah. entirely sure but i can find them at some if, point, but I couldn't, I couldn't conjure them up in in their entirety. Good. You know, okay. like big, there were big ellipses. If you, if you, yeah, uh, the the day you do find him, please email Jason because he's been yes. uh, he's been wanting to read these. I'll call him, see him right in his ear. Yes, please. beautiful. Because <laughs> here's the thing: now all I have in my head is I am a therapist and I'm going home to Emily. That's all that's stuck in my head now because I had to fill it in somehow, and it's terrible. It's terrible. I'm not a songwriter. Uh, oh my god. Uh, oh goodness. What else do we ask about Alan? What are your questions? Because there's oh I know what I want to ask about next but you ask what you're gonna ask oh well i'll go uh when when uh so when lorenzo uh became the voice of garfield like the voice uh and sam growing up with that like were you 
did you did you watch the Garfield specials or were you like, well, that's my dad doing that. I don't I don't want to watch that. I'll watch stuff that I'm not connected to. Or were you like, yes, I'm all about this. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I thought it was neat. I thought it was cool. I I mean, I thought it was I thought it was all those things. I didn't. It didn't. It didn't touch me in a real. I didn't watch Garfield. I didn't have any kind of sense about it. Like that it was amazing or anything. Sure. Um, no, I mean, like, my dad had two very distinct careers. Like, you know, there was the TV mm-hmm. career that happened before I was born or, you know, when I was a really little kid. And then mm-hmm. there was a voice acting career. And we were all really part of the voice acting career when he started. Like, I remember um, when he started putting out a tape. Like, he had to put out a tape. Uh, he was with a... Uh, an agency called Sutton Barth and Veneri and I, they were, you know, I don't know what, they're probably not around anymore, but uh, we had to put a tape together and we cleared out the entire um, mom, you remember this, we cleared out the, sure. the dining room and put this whole tape together. My dad was really into the packaging and the imagery and the presentation and the marketing of it and it was mm-hmm. like a very family run thing in a way. So good. Oh yeah, it was, cool. it, was a, it was a really big deal. It was, it it, up until that time, actors had actors always provided a, a, a tape of a, an audition tape for themselves that their agent could send out. But they would always send out this reel to reel tape. That was how you know mm-hmm. it, it just went. It, and it, and people were still sending out sending out reel to reel tapes when nobody listens listened to reel to reel. It was like crazy. And I said to Renzo, "Don't even make a reel to reel. Just make a cassette." Mm-hmm. And the guy can pop it in his car on the way home and listen to it. He's not going to listen to it on reel to reel in his office. He's going to listen to it in the car. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. So anyway, it was <laughs> like it, we we just that then it had to be it it just had it had so much creativity into it. We were everybody was involved. Everybody had an idea, and finally we assembled the package. And that's when we took everything off the dining room table and we had a, a, a kind of a, 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 a work, a, 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 what do you call it? A assembly, assembly line. line. There we go, yeah. Where we just put these packages together and sealed them. And, and I only say that it was, we had the best time and it was just fun. But um, in the end, I, years later, I found out that in, in schools where they were training people to be voice actors and they were telling them that they had to put an audition tape together, they used that tape as a model. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was like, this is the yeah. gold standard. It, it became the gold standard of what an audition tape should be for a long time. Of course, you know, now that would, would be, that's like analog, you know, old fashioned. Sure. But, but... Um, at, at the time, it, it was... Uh, it, it was inventive and it was ahead of its time. And Mom, do you, do you remember, Mom, when a guy came over to cut all of Dad's commercials together to make that tape? And it was all different ways that Dad said hello to people on different commercials. <laughs> it, was, it was hello, hello, hi, hi. This is uh, this is Bob. Hi, this is Bob. You know, just a just a, a minute. It was sixty seconds of just my dad saying hello. <laughs> But, I totally remember that. I, and, that was a fabulous tape. Oh my and it's God. one of those things that they. It's one of those things that's kind of. It's a. It's a screwy thing because you you teach people that you should make this great tape where you, and you invent this cool thing and you, 
you make this great product, but it's based on that he had already been hired for five or ten years before that. He had an incredible arsenal of stuff to to use, you mm -hmm. know, like if you're just starting out, there's no way you have all that material that you can create something no. very cool from. It's, you know? it's true. Well, the Hello tape was the second tape. That wasn't even the first tape. The first tape wow. had, uh, uh, what are you doing, big boy? I was just casually about in my polyvinyl leisure. So we, I, I, I called Sammy on the phone the other day, and he answered me with a line from one of Lorenzo's commercials. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my mom yeah. called me and said, how are you doing? How you doing? I said, uh, I'm just casually about in my polyvinyl leisure suit. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to just go back if you uh, there, there's a uh, there's another myth I mentioned a myth before about my parents opening for uh, Jack James Brown but um, there's another one about how uh, my dad had to play mom how dad had to play or had to win a pool game in order to keep the job at this mother's brothers what <laughs> is that is that first of all is that true we well it's it's true. Um, <laughs> Holy I mean, it, it you couldn't prove it in black and white. It was never said in actual words. But um, <clears throat> Lorenzo's option was up. Mm. And it was going to have to be renewed, like, in the next week or whatever. <clears throat> and Tommy invited us out to his house I can't remember. Maybe it was in Malibu. I don't remember. It, it was after he was. Uh, it was during the during the show, of course. So he was. It was way past his marriage. Anyway, I don't remember. He wasn't living in the house in Mandola Canyon, but what does it matter? I'm dithering. Anyway, he invited us to the house, and my parents. It was Christmas time, and my parents were visiting, and I had to bring them. And the baby, who was Roz, my oldest child, who had been born on the, at the end of October. So she was like, you know, two months old or something. Mm -hmm. I had to bring my parents and my newborn baby to this house <clears throat> where a whole bunch of single guys and Tommy uh, were hanging around on Sunday drinking and shooting pool. Mason Williams was there, as I recall. Mm -hmm. I can't remember who else. Anyway, uh, uh, Tommy said to Lorenzo, let's, let's go shoot a game of pool. And Lorenzo, okay. And it, they went in and shot this game of pool, and Lorenzo beat him. And um, he came out, and we made nice for a minute. And he said, I think maybe we should go. It's time to go. And so we left, and then later on he told me that what it had really come down to was that if he could beat Tommy at pool, Tommy would renew his, his uh, what do you call it? His, um, his contract. Contract. contract, yeah. Oh I, mean, the, I mean, I don't think he had said it in so many... It, it, in so many it was words, one of those guy. Th it was like a guy thing, right? It was like a you know. <laughs> it was they. It was the understanding was in the room, and um, that was that was a, a miracle that he won the game of pool. Wow, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> These are things, That's by crazy. the way, you you wouldn't get unless you interviewed members of the really family. Good eye hand coordination. So, yeah. He was very good at. Uh, he was very good at shooting a, a gun, or sh shooting pool. 
Wow. Had, had that. Jason, that Jason and Alan, are you, let me ask you guys a question. Do you guys, are you guys aware of any kind of like Tommy and Dickie, like one's the night, one's actually a good guy and the other one's kind of a jerk or is there any of that? I've only yeah. ever heard just that um, uh, Dickie is uh, just a bit more on the conservative side than you would have guessed from the Smothers Brothers show. That's all I've ever heard. And that yeah, uh, Tommy's a big stoner. Like, that seems obvious anyway. But that's yeah. all I've ever heard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's all Absolutely. I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that says it yeah. pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I pretty much says it. Tommy was... Um, you know that was those when we first knew him. Those were the days when everybody was discovering grass for the first time. I mean, that was sure. part of the excitement of the '60s. Was like, you know, finding it, and it was totally illegal. I mean, I mean, you went to jail. There was no fooling around. I mean, if you got busted, you went to jail, and I did know people who did. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was very scary. So you didn't, you didn't, you were careful about who you came out to. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, I remember we were in Denver and we were working at a club called The Exodus. And Tommy and Dickie were in town. They were already like getting to be big stars. I think they were doing a concert or something. And they knew we were in town because they, you know, they kept in touch with us. And, and so we got together and they came over to where we were. They, it was just Tommy, it wasn't Dickie. Dickie never participated socially. It was always just just talk. and uh he came over and he said uh, did you guys ever smoke shit i mean just like <laughs> straight out there and uh i think we just froze oh yeah we lost you for a second but i i got the gist of everything you said but then you yeah. came back yeah although oh, oh maybe we lost we... you now we might have lost you again oh okay yeah oh. so right okay. straight up he straight oh no, you're back yeah, now. You're... I think we have a huge delay got... now. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, I mean, it was that was one of the things that we had in common. We were like illicit pot smokers, but <laughs> Dickie was never part of that. And I, I wouldn't be at all surprised that he would become like, you know, real conservative. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. had he had that streak in him. Their father was an officer in the military i think right. during yeah, the yeah. war yeah and i think he was like a kind of one of those crew cut straight arrow republican kind of you know military officers i think that's the the atmosphere they were raised in sounds about right that that seems to kind of track uh <laughs> based on the can kind I, of rebellion can i um, yeah. can i can i elicit one um sort of story uh to cut back into maybe later be a before in the podcast maybe but um just about rhoda and about how my dad got the how dad got the became the voice of carl oh i want i wanted to ask that next oh anyway. yeah good please yes. yeah 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 okay well um uh valerie was so charming on the mary tyler moore show she was so lovable and she had a big fan base and everything and they wanted to spin her off on her own thing so <clears throat> So Jim and Al and David and Lorenzo, the four of them, you know, created the the Rota show. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, the Carlton the Drummond was always gonna be just a never seen character. He was always gonna be just a voice. And and he was there to indicate New York. 
like very you do have a doorman you know mm-hmm. and, and downstairs and he does ring upstairs and say shall i send up this such and such person so they they just used it they were using it as a kind of an identification so they didn't consider it very important or anything and and you know they got into like the okay the table read and they still hadn't cast it and Lorenzo was reading the part and then the second day of the table read and they still hadn't cast it and they were they had looked at a lot of people and listened to a lot of people and finally i don't know whether it was jim or al or who said Lorenzo, why don't you just do it and so he did that's how he got the part it was just because they couldn't find anybody that read it as well as he did and he understood the part because he had kind of written it and he figured if i were a doorman and I had to just stand there all day long and take guff from people. Oh, I, I, w- I would be in an altered condition. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so, so that's how he did it. You know, he just did it just like a regular person trying to pretend they're sober. I love it. That was his trick about playing drunk. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's part because, because he oh, sort of does the over enunciating in spots mm-hmm. where you would if you were drunk too. I, yeah, I, you're you're good, you're trying to pass, and mm-hmm. and you know, you're, yeah, exactly. And everybody else had played it like too broadly drunk or mm-hmm. too you know whatever. Anyway, so everybody said, yeah, just you do it. So he went okay, and and that was another like I always feel like you know we're kind of the. The, the chorus of angels steps in and everything changes in your life for the better. I mean, that's when his voice acting career started. Right. I mean, that was, he, he had a, he, he had a guy who was the agent for his voice. And he, it was really just the agent that did the deal for Garfield, I think. Okay. And, um, and then maybe there were a couple of requests for him and he handled that and everything. And then, God bless him, this guy died. Mm. And oh. Lorenzo what was thought, his name? Oh no. God, I can't think of it. Did he buy did, did did he die playing baseball? He died playing baseball. He died running between second and third base. Oof. Oh my gosh. Ooh. I mean, <laughs> wow. what a way to go, huh? Right. Anyway, after that he got a serious voice agent mm-hmm. and then suddenly his voice career just took off like a like a rocket it was unbelievable now i have my main podcast uh that most people uh listen to comparatively to my other shows uh i i'm gonna have to put this on the feed because um it's called comedy on vinyl and it's about vinyl comedy records and there's not a lot of precedent for a really famous tv character having a 45 of them just talking over uh, insane 70s music and he absolutely had so he had a single who who is it with a b-side um did either of you write any of the music on that 45? oh yeah yeah oh my oh, god yeah. who who is it that yeah. record yeah that's me and him oh my god okay see i had a feeling i had a feeling it's just there's no information on the internet because the internet's being a pain in my butt um but wow okay see this is well now i have to find the 45 and have you sign it because um yeah yeah i I mean i have no idea what you're talking about (gasps) oh Oh it was i I think i don't remember what how it happened somebody 
said, would you like to do, uh, we'd like to do a record with Carlton. That's what he, that's what they said. Carlton had, was becoming kind of a popular character. Mm-hmm. So they said, let's do a, a, a 45, a record, you know, just a single release of a Carlton record. So mm. we said, okay. So we, we wrote this song. Oh my God. And I report, I record, it was a dialogue between Carlton and a girl. And, um, and it was called who is it who is it and um it, it was a funny you know kind of corny comedy song and mm-hmm. they, i don't know what they ever did with it no i, I don't I, I don't even know who was released i guess oh, it, it must was have been released. it was yeah i've i've i found the 45 it's out there oh for heaven's sakes yeah wow <laughs> absolutely <laughs> forgot about that my i you know it's 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 so long ago that i that i i kind of I remember that I had this career with him, but um, it it all seems like a dream in a certain way. It was like 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 so so far away. We had this we had this other part of our career where I, I always kind of wrote with him. We would we would write a lot. We would write things together. But we were we eventually came to a place where we wrote uh, radio commercials together. Did you? And we okay. had yeah wow. we, we had this client in. Ohio, I think, or someplace. And we would do like every three months, we would do like a, a new spot. It was for a bank. And we would have the best time. We would laugh. And, and it was, it was a wonderful, uh, it, was, it was a wonderful series of comedy commercials. And it was, it was all about this character called Mr. Kredesic, who was always coming into the bank to get to ask about the special of the whatever the special of the bank was for that three months, like a, a student loan or a or a home improvement loan or whatever. So it was a product that the bank was selling, and Mr. Kredesic was always going in there to get, you know, like well, he he went in to get a student loan, and they said, well, how much do you want? And he said, well, two students, one for the backyard, one to do the attic. <laughs> and it was always this kind of corny little thing, and it was. Fun. And we did it for a number of years. And we had other clients too, and so so we always had this. We always had this little thing that we would write together, and we would write special material for, you know, people's birthdays and parties. And and Sammy went to the school where the par- parents were always required to participate, and it was kind of one of those schools where a lot of the parents are movie stars. And so every couple of years they would have a vaudeville oh. and, and we had to write special material for the vaudeville. So we, we would do that together. I remember sitting at the farmer's market uh, on third and Fairfax, like for all of a Sunday afternoon, like writing some kind of special material for every teacher in such and such a class. Wow. And I remember that. Every, yeah. And, and I remember writing a, a, a back and forth boy girl comedy song for Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft because they were going to perform. Yeah. Wow! Wow! Yes. Yeah, so, so there were always these funny Hollywoody kind of <laughs> things that happened. You know, um, it, it, it was it was it was a it was a time in life. 
I feel like the school owes you a ton of back pay because that's <laughs> that's that's a very valuable commodity you gave them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but, but Mel, Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft had to perform it uh, for you know at the Wadsworth Theater, and they they gave of themselves also. Wow. <laughs> This is uh, this is That's a crazy, crazy period of time, by yeah. the way. Who, like, I, Sammy I know just a... cut out. They... Oh. I was oh. just saying they had to. They, Mel, Mel, Mel Brooks had to, and and Bancroft had to perform it, so they gave of, of themselves in a way. That is true. That is yeah. true. Oh, yeah, so we got to make did. sure we we cut cut them a check too. I mean, cut. <laughs> yeah, right. you know, um, yeah. Let's make sure we do. That. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> okay. So I do. I hate to do this uh, to harp again on this. The record has a B side, and I don't have the record. The record's B side is called "The Girl in Five Ten. Uh, do you remember that song? It's also co-written by the two of you. So you wrote both sides. But I, do you remember anything about that song? Yeah, we wrote we wrote both sides. What's the other, the other side's called? Hello, hello. There, who is it? And no, then uh, the, the one is girl. Oh, the girl okay. in five ten. Yeah, the B, the B, okay, the the B side is called "Hello, Hello." Okay. This is the girl in five one zero, and I'm lonesome. Why don't you come up? Okay. Okay. It's the gist of the B side. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I totally remember it. Absolutely. Yeah. Five one zero, and I'm lonesome. How about you? Five what can I do for you? I got some wine, the lights are low. Got a new needle on my stereo, and I'm lonesome. How'd you like to come up? Gee, I don't know anything about stereos. Have you tried the yellow pages? I'm new to New York. It's a mighty big city. I'm a friendly girl. People say I'm pretty. A cab or something? Uh, did Carlton uh, on his own, or what, what? What was the thing that got you to uh, the opportunity to develop the Lorenzo and Henrietta music show? The guy who was the head of programming at ABC had been at CBS. I can't think of his name now. It'll come to me. And he always liked Lorenzo and thought he was funny and everything. And he thought that. It would be a good idea to develop a show starring Lorenzo to go on ABC. So we did a pilot. He and I did a pilot for ABC. And <clears throat> they didn't, they liked it, but they, they didn't buy it. They wanted us to do it again. So we did a second pilot for ABC. Wow. And they didn't buy that. And Grant Tinker decided that if we were we had done all this work and if we weren't going to put the show on ABC we were going to sell it into syndication so he put a deal together to syndicate the Lorenzo and Henrietta music show which in those days meant that you sold to every station you know different markets like the the CBS affiliate in Omaha Nebraska and it, it was a different world it was a different television world in those days. But anyway, our show was sold to syndication after we had done two pilots for ABC. That's how that happened. That makes sense. And that was MTM's first attempt to even do that. MTM had not done any straight to syndication shows yet. No, uh-uh, no. 
That's interesting. No, that was a wow. that was their first foray. And it was um, they gave you guys an hour. You had to do an hour every single night. We had to do an hour a day. It was it was insane. I, I remember talking to to Grant like some years later, and I remember him saying to me, "What were we thinking? How could anybody have done? Uh, how could anybody? How could anybody have?" produced the show like Lorenzo was the producer and the head writer and the star. I said, how could anybody be expected to, to do all of that? We were insane, <laughs> you know, to think that, that could succeed. We were, I think we just, I think we were only on for six weeks uh, and they were getting better numbers with reruns of Bewitched at the hour that we were on in LA. I mean, it was, it, it, it was an oddball show and it came on, just kind of concurrently with Saturday Night Live, wow, the, yeah. the world the world wasn't quite used to like oddball stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I mean, I'm not saying that we were as good as Saturday Night Live or anything like that, but it was um, it was a weird little show, and um, it, mm. it, you had it had to find its audience. And they, you know, it, 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 it just never happened. And, and we needed way more help getting it together than we had. And, you know, it, there were a lot of things that made it a doomed effort. Mm -hmm. But it was, um, it, it, it was an experience, that's for sure. And I got to interview a lot of interesting people, and that was fun. And I just there's didn't, I didn't no, realize that no, was yeah, I know. every n night. Holy bucket. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, there's not enough information on the internet because, of course, the episodes aren't out there. But, I mean, the two people that are listed as guests are Cloris Leachman and Henry Winkler. And uh, the one writer whose name I recognize is Louis Arquette. I did not know that he wrote for 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 that show. But Louis Arquette I'm, I'm a big fan of in terms of improv and acting. Um, oh, yeah. He's a wonderful improv actor. Louis. Goodness, oh, for gracious. sure. Lewis, the 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 Arquettes and the musics are all old friends from Subud. And oh, okay. Go way oh, back and cool. and all that. I remember. I just watched this documentary about uh, Frank Zappa, mm -hmm. which is popular right now. And I, you know, in the in the library off the off the the, the closet off the library had all the tapes of the like the three quarter inch tapes we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. of the Lorenzo and Henrietta music show and. It, there was masking tape with my dad's handwriting and Sharpie on every tape. And it was who was being interviewed in the interview section, you know, of the, of that episode. And Frank Zappa was on there and John Ritter and like, you know, just, it was endless. It was probably 36 different tapes. Oh, you know? there was a lot of wow. people. There was a, who was the guy who, who wrote, um, uh, Oh, Hammond, I think was his name. He he wrote that series where it was like that Southern family with all the children, John Boy and all oh, that. Oh, the, uh, the Waltons, right? The Waltons, yeah. He had, the creator of the Waltons was on. Um, yes, Zappo was on. Um, well, there were a lot of interesting people. And Bob Hope. Um, Bob Hope. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I, th I think Joshua Logan, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um there were there were a lot of interesting people. I mean, I, you know, it, it was, it was kind of a, a, amazing. I mean, you could, you could sort of get your team to call pretty much anybody and invite them, and most people would say yes. 
I mean, it's, it was it was a more innocent time. That's crazy. Wow. Uh, but <laughs> Mom, am I am I right that Bob Hope that you guys did interview Bob Hope? I think we did. I, I mean, I, it's a memory of mine. I don't know if it's you can recall it. Um, I, I think it was probably. I think it was an awkward, terrible interview, and I've <laughs> I've blocked yeah. it. But I think it happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know that Bob Hope guess. is known for being good on his feet necessarily. He was a uh, really <laughs> got to stick to the script kind of guy. <laughs> um, well. Did you, I, I, what, I, I was yeah. not the right person to interview him anyway. I mean, if, if you're going to interview him, you have to be like, you know, fast and sassy. And I, I don't think I was either of those things. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, yeah, I, I, I can't remember. And, and, and it was actually Louis Arquette's wife who did all the uh, research on all the guests. Oh, wow. So she would, she would write up like... All, all the interesting stuff about them, all the factoids that I would have. And so I would have, you know, interesting things to ask them. And all I, that I, have this, I have this great story of um, my friend Rob from my high school and married a girl named, uh, who's a daughter of, um, of Henry Winkler. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to her house for um a party and 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 I, I met him when I when I when I met Hen, Henry Winkler he hugged me like he deeply hugged me like he hugged me like really hugged me and he said your dad gave me my first job in Hollywood holy cow oh wow yeah it was like a really big he felt it so deeply and and it was uh, from love american style oh wow was, okay yeah wow. all right yeah and it was you know it was Fon it was Fonzie that's and I, I just <laughs> So and I just crazy. didn't even know that my dad had was involved in Love American Style or mm -hmm. any of that. There were there were only casual mentions that I could even find about that in old varieties and things. So I was a little <clears throat> a little thrown by that my, myself uh, as a you know doing the little bit of research I got to do. Yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that he was involved in that show also. Yeah, holy yeah, cow! Yeah, he, he and David, he and Dave Davis wrote. A few love American stuff, okay. not not a whole lot, but a few, mm -hmm. and I think they wrote one for Newhart, actually. Oh wow! Um, yeah, we're. I think he wakes up in Vegas and and he's somehow gotten drunk and married or something. <laughs> um, I can't. I, I think I don't know. I don't. I'm. I don't hold me to it. I'm not hundred percent sure. But yeah, they wrote for Love American style. Um, yeah. There is one thing that's out there that uh, is is actually available to watch. Anybody can go on YouTube and find the Carlton Your Doorman pilot from mm -hmm. 1980. That is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I would like to know how it came about. Oh, you mean the the animated Carlton yes. Doorman? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that was on the internet. I would yes. so love to see that again. That was so great. Well, um, I don't. I don't remember the 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 who, the instigation. I mean, I don't remember how the project got started. I don't remember if the network came to him or if he went to the network or whatever. But Carlton the Doorman was, um, you know, a, a big part of the success of the Rota Show. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he was he he was a known commodity. I mean, Carlton was like. A running gag. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so they thought, okay, yeah, let's see if we can 
but the Renzo didn't want to do a lot. It was totally against doing a live action show, and he was correct. That would have been that would never have worked. Mm-hmm. But he thought it would be great to do um, a, a cartoon, and he knew this guy Chuck Swenson, whose work he just loved. Who 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 he, Lorenzo had done voice to things he had created, cartoons he had created before and stuff. So he and and he, the two of them sat down, and they kind of designed um, how it was going to look, and and. I I myself just love the way it looks. I I think it's mm-hmm. a I think it's a fabulous animation, and the story is really good. Lorenzo wrote the story and you know did the, you know did the acting and everything, and he won an Emmy for it. But mm-hmm. ironically and sadly, the year he won the Emmy was the year that all the actors were on strike and none of the actors would appear on stage at the academy if the Uh. emmys so he he had he he didn't get to go up on stage and receive his emmy that it came to him in the mail that is but anyway uh, so unfair i think i think i think that's the emmy i have um the dad has two emmys and we um in our Midwestern values, uh, use them as toilet paper holders. Of in course. The, <laughs> we put the toilet paper on one of the wings and, and that behind the toilet, and that's how we do it. But um, I think I have the, I have the, um, the Carlton one, and then what's the other one, Mommy? Uh, the other one is for um, uh, the Smothers Brothers. Oh, wow. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, I was yeah. just watching. I was just actually this this afternoon watching, you know, something on Instagram, and and they had a. I think it was some, about the seventies, and they had a video of Steve Martin doing something funny on um, Johnny Carson, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and 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 I was reminded that you know my dad worked with him on the Smothers Brothers. I mean, the Smothers Brothers was mm-hmm. had all the good, the, the best. Oh yeah, guys like the, like oh, Steve yeah. Martin and Carl Gottlieb and Rob Reiner and and all the dudes, all the guys were on that show, and and my dad knew them. I don't know that they all had a friendship, but they definitely had a, a working relationship. But um, yeah, I mean, like that was a a a, a thing, and I I remember my dad telling me that Steve Martin was kind of a basket case at that time i don't know uh-huh. but he was like kind of like you know always just you know just out of his mind and <laughs> well i and- i i i i join in to agree with you that there that steve martin was lorenzo was about maybe 30 at the at that time mm-hmm. um 28 or 30. S- steve martin was about 23 or 24. i mean he was a baby he mm. was he was still making human growth hormone. He was not cooked, <laughs> and and a lot of the guys were really young. Um, Reiner was was also very young, and there were a lot of other young guys, and they were all crazed. I mean, they were all hormone crazed, and they would go to work around ten o'clock in the morning, and they would do nothing but fool around all day long and try to set up some some way to get lucky later and then figure out what they were going to eat for lunch and dinner. And, and mm-hmm. they never right. started working until 
early in the evening or late in the afternoon or anything. So Lorenzo would go to work at 10 o'clock in the morning, a married man with a child. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> and he wouldn't come home until like 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. So those Jesus. guys, they were all like so young and full mm. of ginger and they could not knuckle down. They were all, you know, just kind of busy trying to have, you know, an experience of life. And, you know, they must have thought they were the luckiest guys in the world to be, yeah. you know, 23, 24 years old and have a career, you know, writing on network television for a big hit show. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was some, it was a big deal to them, I think. And what ended up being one of the most revolutionary pieces of comedy that's ever been broadcast, too. I mean, I love that these weird, horny, hungry guys just that's that's what they turned out was such a good show, like such a yeah, it was such a good show. It oh, really God. was such a good show, and that was it was such a time. I mean, it, it's hard. I can conjure it up for myself. It's it's hard to actually express the feelings in the air in in those times in the 60s from the middle 60s until the end of the 60s and say 71 72 the 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 excitement in the air the feeling that we were i mean the, the cohort of 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 young people was so enormous we felt like we were going to change the world mm -hmm. and and a lot of people made a lot of stabs at doing that. You know, and, and a lot of things did change at that time. And it was an, an amazing time to be in L.A. I mean, it was just a remarkable time. The, 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 whole, the whole city seemed to be, like, just alive and, and vibrant and hopeful. It was, it, it was an actually wonderful time. And the time the Smothers Brothers just hit smack in that. It was a fabulous time mm -hmm. in history. Alan, I feel like I've been monopolizing the interview. Do you have some more questions? I don't want to. Oh no, I have a, trample I have a over you. Yet. No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will say this. In my research, and maybe I miss. Well, I didn't misread, but maybe they. It, it confused me and threw me because there's no other information about this. I think it was in a an old Variety. There was some mention of a show starring Rita Moreno and Lorenzo Music. Is this a thing? Was a pilot made? Does that sound familiar? What did I read? It 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 was probably a mistake and probably a misprint. <laughs> mm -hmm. they, uh, um, she, she was kind of a fan of his, uh -huh. and they were friendly and they knew each other. Mm -hmm. And we met in New York and had a drink. And I think that's the extent of it. I, I think somebody must have made that up about a show because there was never any talk of a show between the two of them. That, some that reporter was just, maybe saw them at the bar. Was like, okay, I see what's happening. There's a yeah, show about to yeah, happen. There's going to be a show. Sure. Yeah, that's it. Because that, that's yeah, the weirdest. Yeah, no, it was, it was never going to happen. It never came up. That is a weird Mom, pairing, but I would watch it. Mom, yeah. I want to ask a question uh, on the same vein. In the same vein, uh, there's a show with Leslie Uggams. Yep. And what was yep. that? What was that? Well, that was a variety show. There was, you know, there was, in the early part of the 60s, uh, there were a lot of variety shows on television. It, Carol Burnett is the, is the kind of quintessential, wonderful variety show, but there were lots, lots and lots of them. And <clears throat> it was a way for a singer or a performer 
to perform and then have other performers come on. And it was a way that we saw entertainment, you know, a variety show. It was like going to a concert on t TV. Anyway, Leslie Uggams, who was a singer and successful in, in and had a career, um, they invited her to do a variety show and she did one and i don't know how long it lasted maybe a year or two and your dad wrote for it for one season uh after glenn campbell i think okay that makes sense it was a, I remember it was, it was, a, it was of, a it was a blink right it was part of the you know his his you know stuff that was in the library and mm. and mm -hmm. scripts that were laying around and whatnot yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of stuff you discover later. I mean, you know, I, I've spoken with so many people who have, you know, had to deal with their parents' archives or, you know, at varying levels of fame, by the way. You know, people who nobody's ever heard of to people who are incredibly famous. You know, dealing with that stuff afterwards is an interesting, weird way to reconnect with somebody. Yeah, and the, I, I talk about this library, and we had a library in our house, and um, there was a bound book that my dad had created. It said on the on the binder, "These are the things that sold men's tries." Mm -hmm. And it was the three it was the three uh, pilots that my dad had done, which was oh my god, the Bob Newhart show, Rhoda, and I don't remember what the other one was. It was three different pilots. These are the things that sold men's tries, which is the play on <laughs> tried men's souls. Mm -hmm. and my dad had that made. I love it. That's so yeah. good. Yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a, there was there was a kind of a you know in, in Minnesota we're we're raised to be modest. We we still think of modesty as as a virtue. So you, you know you you don't splash all your you know accolades and awards around. I mean the the, the things were kind of kept in, in quietly in the library, and you could look at them or find them if you wanted to. But they weren't splashed all over the house as these are my, you know, these are my jewels. Mm -hmm. So you you kind of had to kind of had to uncover mm -hmm. them. And but you know when you're a kid, uh, you you go through everything in your house. You look at everything. You go through every drawer and you find everything. And you 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 just look for all the secrets. I mean that's what kids mm -hmm. do. So sure. of course Sammy found everything. Not that they were secret, but sure. <laughs> but he found everything for sure. The uh, uh, so speaking, well, we weren't, but uh, this is a terrible segue anyway. Comedy on vinyl is my other podcast, as I mentioned. Uh, I did send this to Alan. This is the only other vinyl I know of that that uh, Lorenzo Music is on. Oh, not true. He, yeah, this is the only other vinyl. So here comes Garfield, uh, which is an insane record that just is mostly uh, crazy music from the special and dialogue chunks of him, just him and whomever did the voice of John. Um, whoa. How how did the, uh, how, how did Garfield come about? You know, and I can't remember. I'm gonna have to look it up. But uh, well, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but it mm. was kind of in, in 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 the kind of burgeoning moment of Lorenzo's voice career. Mm -hmm. He was sent to audition mm -hmm. for Garfield. Uh, he was sent to Jim Davis and, you know, wh whoever agents, whatever agents there were. And Jim Davis was in town from Ohio, which is where he's from. And um, he was looking, he had, he had a deal with CBS to do 
uh, specials during mm-hmm. Garfield, animated specials, and he was looking for a vo- the voice of Garfield. And he had auditioned, I don't know, over 100 actors. I mean, he had just been auditioning, wow. just been listening to voices like every day for like three days. And when he heard Lorenzo's voice, he went, that's it. Mm-hmm. And he realized, <laughs> he said, he had been writing Garfield with uh, 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 Carlton the doorman. Carlton in his head. <laughs> wow! And when and when he heard Lorenzo say the Garfield words, he knew that was it, and th- <laughs> that was the be- that was the beginning. That's and hilarious. and then Tom Hughie uh, became the voice of John, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think he still is the voice of John, and they did like they did specials, and then they did Saturday mornings, and I mean it was a biz- it was a big business, the Garfield business for a long time. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was absolutely great. Oh, yeah. But anyway, it was it was entirely, uh, you know, kind of kids met. You know, I mean, it, Jim was writing Garfield with a certain voice in his head and he didn't realize that it was the voice of carlton until he heard lorenzo do the voice the words of garfield so that's sort of interesting it in in the real in the real world though did lorenzo like lasagna and did he hate mondays that's (laughs) you have to ask (laughs) he he would eat lasagna and liked it. it i wouldn't say it was his absolute favorite, and and did he? Would you say he disliked what? Mondays, you know. Mon- no, <laughs> actually, I wouldn't say he disliked Mondays. He he really loved to work. So he he loved the work week. He loved like getting up and going to work. He liked getting up and sitting at his computer and waiting for the phone to ring, and it was time to go for an audition. Did not hate Mondays. <laughs> Not by a long shot, but he loves Saturday night because he and I used to listen to a Prairie Home Companion together. It was like nice. as wonderful as it was for somebody who lives in Los Angeles. It was twice as wonderful for somebody who lived in Minnesota. We we would it, it, it was like the, it was it made Saturday night for us. I love it. That's I mean that's 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 the that's the perfect thing for the two of you. That uh, that's delightful. That is <laughs> You know what I love though that he's such a sounding like a uh, not in the bad way, in the best way, a kind of a workaholic, but also the, he had the voice of the exact opposite. That the 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 acting voice the voice that he used was that his daily everyday voice was he just slightly amending it for I I want to know roughly what his voice was. Well, pretty Pretty much, that was his voice. Oh, I mean, so he 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 cranked it up just a little bit, uh-huh. but it was he it wasn't different from his normal everyday voice. Would you say, Sam? Yeah, I yeah no he he had this kind of barrel chest, you know, mm-hmm. those kind of I would say his physical makeup and that kind of dictated what his instrument was, and mm-hmm. it was it was it was a it was a boomy voice and he could play it. He told, he, as an actor, as a voice actor, he would say that it was, you could play it, you know, slower, 
uh, faster, st- stupider, and and smarter. You know, and it was kind of like that. Those were the variables, and he would slow it down for Garfield, and he'd make it sort of more stupid and sillier. But uh, no, that was his voice. He had a he had a boomy, barrel-chested voice. He had a, an incredible and a unique voice. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He was, sure. he had a, he had actually a soft voice, and and I, I mean he didn't he didn't speak loudly, and when when we started dating when I was when we were in college, and he used to call me. He would in those days nobody you know you had one telephone in the house. The phone would ring. My mother would answer the phone, and she would call the sisters, and she would say, "It's that boy with the nice voice." so he always had he always had that voice it it, it, it's it's hard to um it's hard to describe but it was it was a memorable it was a memorable voice there's no question absolutely do do, do you remember uh uh for the the real ghostbusters when he was cast did they just say we want you to do it or did he have to audition for that he auditioned for everything. Wow! When when he became a voice actor, I mean, in those days, in in, in I, the olden days, I mean, in the eighties, um, it was a completely different world, and the, the world of voice actors was actually really very small. Like Ernie Anderson was like the booming big voice of of, of announcements, and and you know there were there were a few people who did voice acting it was not a big it was not a big world and everybody people auditioned kind of like for everything there were there were kind of the cartoon actors and there were the commercial actors and you know then then it got it it got so that everybody was a voice actor and then you know every every famous foot actor would say you know get me a car you know to his agent or Mm -hmm. you know get me a get me a big account but in in those days when Lorenzo started, it it was a small group. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I, yeah, my, and they used, they used to go audition, and they would all they would hang out together. It was the same people you met over and over again. In the in that day, like I think there were like six guys. It was just like Jack uh, LaFontaine was mm-hmm. that guy, and mm-hmm. then he was the announcer, and then it would be the character guy and. Uh, there were like six, six of them, and and I remember my dad was saying like, uh, he would drive himself around to the different um, studios in Hollywood. It was Bell Studios and um, the one on Kawanga called. Uh, oh I, I, yes, yeah, I, yeah. Oh. I can't remember it. Um, you know, there was like three studios and six guys. It was just a really small little. It was a sm- it was universe. a small group, it was a small group of people, and all, all the same people did all the same stuff over and over again. Ultimately, to the point where sometimes, you know, it, it, and people, everybody always auditioned, so that was okay. You know, nobody minded that. But um, sometimes they would put out uh, a script, and at the top of the script, would, it would say they wanted a Lorenzo music type. Mm-hmm. And Lorenzo would scream, and he would say, "Why don't you ask for Lorenzo music? I'm here." You know, <laughs> it, it was also it was uh, like, yeah. He got typed as a certain kind of a you know certain kind of voice. 
But yeah. mom, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't dad, uh, like, because he had the writer, because like, he was a writer on TV and people knew his career from television, wouldn't he punch up the script from time to time? Wow. Sure. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, my God. Uh, wow. Oh, of course he would. Of course he yeah. would. And, you know, he, he was, and, 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 but you know, creative process. And, and part of, part of the way that he was brought up in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the TV writing business and in all that business, it, it, there's a collaborative effort. If you can make a line better, you just do. You don't care. It's not like you want credit for or, any, or anything. He, he would definitely try to make it better. And, and here's the other thing that he had, which was just, which was just amazing. Cause I would sometimes go to auditions with him and, and, and he would, he would, he would do the, he would do the piece and they'd say, can you shave a quarter of a second off that? And he would go, okay. And they would record it and he would shave a quarter of a second off. Oh I mean, he had amazing, he had amazing technique mm -hmm. that that it's hard to describe. But he, you know, he could when somebody said faster, slower, how much faster, how much slower? I mean, mm -hmm. he really had control over that instrument, wow. which is, uh, you know, kind of amazing. It is. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What do, you think, what do, you, do you know what that I comes think, from? Does it come from having to perform live or some other strict discipline that led him to be like, I can be this disciplined with my voice acting? Um, I think it comes from, I do think it comes from performing and writing where timing is kind of everything. Mm -hmm. And you, you know when to deliver the joke, not too soon, not too fast. Um, mm -hmm. He had a remarkable sense of timing he had a fabulous a fabulous sense of timing and 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 that was just a i don't know he he also had it just it it was it was also a clock he had within himself mm -hmm. that 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 he could he, he could control that I, mm -hmm. I i don't know it was it was a talent it was it was a talent that he developed within himself but it, it was it was just his sense of timing i think you, mom can i can i ask you a question so remember how um he was the, he was he was like the the um the guy at the um like at the what's it, the the catskills or whatever he was the oh he was tumbler. a tumbler yeah. Right. He, he was yeah. the tumbler at the Catskills uh, resorts when he was very, very young. And I remember hearing a, an interview with Mel Brooks and he said he was the tumbler and he would he would sort of develop. He developed his act in that way. Wow. Um, and I feel like when I think of dad, I think of him as sort of honing his skills in that kind of Jewish tradition of of being the entertainment uh aspect of the you know the cat skills and that absolutely you're, you're you're absolutely correct and and that's that that's what i mean when i say he was a combination of pete seeger and henny youngman he had that jewish cat skills mountain like sense of humor and when actually he did work in the cat skills but he was just a bus boy but where he was a tumbler was 
at a at a Jewish resort, a Jewish summer resort, much like in the Catskills, but on Lake Michigan, on the other side of Chicago in Michigan, and it was a a a, a, a town called South Haven, Michigan, and there was a Jewish summer resort there, and he was the busboy slash tumbler slash bingo caller oh my i God. mean wow he did everything and right. he worked he worked for two summers there and he learned how to he learned how to be in front of an audience by doing that so he he, he got this this strange training in a place that no longer exists and that nobody has experience of or even understands Mm-hmm. I mean, except, from still, Mel, for, except for Mel Brooks, who's like ninety-six years old. Who's right. like ninety? I mean, it's from a, it's so completely from another generation. It's so funny. It 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 it, it hardly relates. I mean, no, nobody nobody can relate to that. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's. But, I I always had heard uh, also that one of the other things that Mel Brooks attributed to is being a drummer. Uh, you know, those those two things I think were huge. You know, that taught him timing, I I, I guess. But then the other part was being actually in the comedy trenches. Uh, you there's no there's no excuse for poor timing if you're in those if you're in the Catskills and you're trying to make people laugh. We're paying good money to be there. Like that's that's. Oh yeah, that that, that that that's that's it. I mean that's I mean. We think of Hen- Henny Youngman as this corny guy who told jokes, but mm-hmm. he had he had a talent for telling jokes, and he could deliver the punchline with mm-hmm. the right sort of timing. Now it might not make us laugh today because it's incredibly old fashioned, mm-hmm. but there was a something to it in the day when it was funny. For sure. And oh, yeah. anyway, Lorenzo had a certain kind of upbringing in that old fashioned you know, kind of show business and very, um, very old school and very Jewish. Mm-hmm. It, the, the, the punchline for the joke is that you were a tumbler, a tumbler at Fiddleman's. That's Fiddleman's, right. was, the, Fiddle, Fiddleman's was the club and uh-huh. he was the tumbler. Uh-huh. So my dad was, was the tumbler at Fiddleman's, which, you know, if you're going to be a, if you're going to make a corny joke, mm-hmm. you might get slapped with that, uh, with that. Okay, so you're the, the Tumblr at Fiddleman's. It's not. It's not a good thing. <laughs> but, but the thing is that nobody knows what a Tumblr is. I mean, you have to look it up in in Leo Roskin's Yiddish dictionary to know what a Tumblr is. I nobody had to just look it up, and it's still complicated. <laughs> it's still complicated to understand. <laughs> Oh my it's goodness! True. I think I know it's my true. Yiddish, and then this kind of stuff gets thrown at me. Uh, that's from, did uh, was <laughs> yeah, okay. So I, I, this is a question for both of you, really. Uh, were, were the two of you? What, what was the family a musical family, like a we sing together type of musical family? I'm always curious about entertainment families. Well, you, Sam, you go first. Well, I will say that we had uh, there was a room off of the uh, entry hall called the uh, what's well, the billiard room, but we would I don't know what it was then. It was called the music room, actually, and mm-hmm. that's answering your question. Um, yes, we had there were there was a set of drums, there were some bongos, there was yes. a piano, oh and there was God. an electric bass, there was an upright bass, there were percussion instruments, and I remember. Um, my parents had a friend come over named not Tony Bill, but something Bill. He was the voice of uh, uh, 
What's oh, oh, oh. Bullwinkle and Bullwinkle. Natasha. He was, he was the voice. Oh, wow. He was I the voice this, of Bullwinkle. I remember being yeah. a young kid and Bill this guy Scott. came over. He was the voice of Bullwinkle and he came over and we all just jammed out in the music room. But Holy there was a music room shoot. and there was there were there were some there were some jams. What? For we sure. Had, wow. we, had, we had different jams for sure. And um and and then when my older son turned thirteen and had his bar mitzvah, he requested for his gift a set of drums, which mm -hmm. we gave him. And then he discovered very quickly that he didn't enjoy it. It wasn't his talent. <laughs> and so they just sat there. And um, he said, yeah, I, 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 yeah. and he said to me, he said to me, Mom, like a few months later, he said, Mom, do you mind? W would you mind if I sold my drums? Because I'm, I'm not into it. And I said, no, I wouldn't mind. And he said, can I put them in the living room so if somebody comes to see them, that they'll be able to see them? And I said, sure, go put them in the living room. So he put them in the living room, whereby every day after school, Sammy came home and sat in the living room and played drums for hours and taught himself how to be a drummer. Holy cow. Wow. It's true. So, it's oh true. And, and uh, so... Yeah. Go ahead. I, I I would put I would put Led Zeppelin two on and try to be like John Bonham, and I would rock out. And the the acoustics in the living room were incredible. And I mm -hmm. these were an old pair of Slingerland drums. They sounded great. Every time I hit them, they would ring out throughout the entire house. Of course. And I would bang them to oblivion. And um, uh, this podcast's not about me, but I am a sound oh, designer for. I'm a sound designer for for film trailers and oh, um, wonderful. And you know, my Amazing. byline is you know I heard when I first heard John Bonham, I wanted to. I heard the his kick drum. I just that's what I wanted to do, and mm -hmm. I wanted to emulate him and be him and and create music that how he does. And um, yeah, it fully influenced my life. For sure. So good. So cool. What we're what we're skipping over is that Bullwinkle, Bullwinkle, and Garfield uh, would play music together, and that's what's really hurting my brain right now. <laughs> okay. Well, and he came over, and there was a, another guy who was, uh, he was like a, maybe an engineer, uh, and he was anyway. There were three or four people, and they came over to to the house many nights. And we, we just kind of jammed, and uh, it was really fun. And uh, then I think we did, like, at Christmas time, we, we, we did, like, a performance in some kind of a shopping mall. Like, we, were, we, we played music for half an hour in some shopping mall, which was sort of wow. ridiculous but funny. And we all had a good time and had a good laugh, and all that was great. And then, um, not very long after that, Bill Scott turned up his toes, and mm -hmm. that was the end. Yeah, I saw that but, he passed away quite young. Yeah, but anyway, we had we had a fun time. We had a fun time doing it. And then, then there, were, there were other gangs of people that we ran into that we found out that we, we had. We, there were lots of we had lots of music nights, and uh, and Sammy was, became a became a drummer and 
the drums got moved up to the attic where he, he had his room and um and uh i lived with um loud drums in my life for years on end <laughs> and, and that that's the way that one went <laughs> Yeah, there were a lot of people but, that came by. There was, there was a, a guy that played the stick. Remember the stick? Does, uh -huh. that, does that ring anybody's bell? The mm. stick. Paul Edwards, who actually had a, a group called Kitty Hawk, and, and they had a record out. And he was a friend, and he used to come over and play. And, you know, do, do, do either of you guys know what the stick is? I don't know. I don't, is, I don't uh, know what that uh, is. Uh, well, the, yeah. the stick is a kind of a special electronic instrument which is half a guitar and half a bass. So you're playing guitar and bass at the same time. It is so Whoa. incredibly wow. complicated, both musically and intellectually, that I you have bet. to be like a genius to play this. Holy anyway, crap. this guy really could play the heck out of the stick. And he came over and we had, we had great nights playing together and, and, and then Lorenzo and I played together just for fun. Just, just we would just play through the Beatles songbook, and mm. and he would play. He would play sometimes guitar and sometimes banjo. And he was a really wonderful banjo player. He was. He was, not so much a picker, as he, he played five string, string banjo like the Pete Seeger model, like, you know, Eric Weisberg and. Eric Darling, and there were there, there were a few famous banjo pickers. I mean, Lester Platt and Earl, Earl Scruggs was the famous banjo mm -hmm. picker of the of the country music days and everything, and we all admired him. But Lorenzo had he wasn't so much a great picker, although he could pick, but he had a kind of an absolutely unbelievable rinky tink right hand, unbelievable razzmatazz right hand banjo that was kind of just almost irresistibly wonderful it just it just you could not tap your foot it couldn't put it could not have joy in your heart it was kind of the most wonderful up tone fabulous mu music ever and he was just an absolute magician at playing that kind of music and we played it together. And when we would go back to Minnesota to visit my family, my mother who played piano and organ and all that, she would say after dinner, she would say, well, how about a little music? And then we would go to the to our music room in my house and she would sit down at the organ and I would sit down at the piano and Lorenzo would take up the banjo. And we would go through all the, uh, all the songs that we knew together and it, it, it was it was a wonderful experience, uh, and we did it a lot. It was we we made lots of music in the family. Absolutely. Is, is there one particular song uh, that you liked performing or singing with him? Oh, there, well, there were a lot. Mm -hmm. There were absolutely a lot. Um, I have to say that. Uh, towards the end of his life, he kind of created a little room that was in, in the house that was just a, sort of a music room for himself. 
And he went back to playing just the banjo like he did in the in the 60s when I first knew him. And he sang some of those same old songs and played the banjo. And it was so heartbreakingly touching. He had, he, he just had a relationship with the banjo that was, um, that was touching. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't explain it more than that, but, but it was, it, well, it, it was the banjo ukulele, right? Well, that, sometimes you, yeah, that was the banjo ukulele. It was any kind of a banjo that was kind of a, a plectrum banjo or a five string banjo, but one of the songs was the dark down strutters ball. Oh yeah. He, he had those old fashioned songs and he could just touch your heart with playing the banjo. He, mm -hmm. ju he just could do it. He could become one with that instrument. And he had a, he just had a thing with it. It was, it was very touching actually. And sometimes made you want to stand up and march and hmm. scream. And I don't know. It, it was kind of wonderful. It was definitely wonderful. It was. It, it was kind of part of what I fell in love with him over that he had that in him yeah. to make that happen. You know, he he just he just could make you fall in love with him when he when he sang and played the banjo in the most simple kind of way. Mm -hmm. It was it was touching. The the one thing I am annoyed that pop culture has not given me is his singing voice. That's I'm I'm genuinely frustrated now that I really can't hear him somewhere. Oh, I must find you know? something for you. I would we love must to hear find it. something yeah. for you. Yeah, he he he. I would say that neither he nor I were gifted with a great instrument. Like mm -hmm. no, it, it, neither one of us had a fabulous voice, but we each knew how to work our voice in a pretty damn good way. You know, I, I was not a bad little singer for the, I didn't have the greatest instrument, but I, I made do and, and I had a certain style and same with Lorenzo. He didn't have a great, great instrument, but he had a way of, of, of singing that was uh, fetching. Mm -hmm. oh. ah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. It, it, you know what? Again, if you do find it, <laughs> I, yeah, I hate to give you it. homework. <laughs> I hate to give you all this homework, but holy cow, that would be, that would be beautiful. Uh, Alan, do you have any more questions? No, I mean this is this is great. Thank you so much. Like seriously, this both has of you. been uh, just <laughs> more than I could have asked for. You've also both given us more time than we even expected. Uh, like I, I could talk to you for hours, but I don't want to keep you. But I, I do want to. You know, it's hard to know how you end something like this. It has no precedent. But I don't know. Any closing thoughts the two of you have? Anything that people should know about Lorenzo music they don't already know? <laughs> Ooh. It's not easy, I know. Yeah. Well, it, Lorenzo was a kind man, and quite apart from his career, he he had the ability to help people. He had the ability to give himself up to people. Uh, he had a a kindness and a decency in him that was not part was not part of his career but that was one of the best things about him uh he he helped a lot of people and he, he was straight and decent and he had a, an absolute 
straight and upright character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, my dad was like, you know, I would say that he was, he had his career and I feel like his career was amazing. You know, people uh, talk about his name and his, uh, they see his name, they've seen his name on the end of credits. Lorenzo Music, it's such an odd name. It's such an odd, you know, constellation of, of characters uh, and it's memorable, but he was, you know, uh, my dad and he had a lot of he was a great he was a great character in in our in real life well it, honest to god it's been it's been an honor to speak to both yeah, of you thank um and uh you know all you can do in a case like this is is thank you both for you know being a part of uh the life of somebody who then uh reciprocated to the rest of the world somehow and gave us this stuff that we have loved for years and continue to love so you know the the both of you and such a by the way sam it was the nicest thing to hear that uh, you know i contacted i i have a habit of over contacting people but it turns out all your siblings were like oh no they all got together talked about it and like oh no sam should be the one who's speaks with mom on, on the right. show. You guys all got together and communicated in this nice, so sweet. Qu- quick way, by the way. You guys got back <laughs> to me so fast. Um, I'm just, it's just very kind of you to to both give us your time. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. This is this has been remarkable fun. It's always yeah. fun to talk about my dad. But I love my dad and he had a, a big career and it was, a, it was an amazing guy. And it's been 20 some, almost 20 years or 20 more years something how, how long has he been dead i don't even know it's been so it'll be tw- it'll be tw- it'll be 21 it'll be 20 years this coming august in, uh, in 2021 mm-hmm. so yeah, it's been a long time it's incredible but so it, yeah. it, it's it's amazing to know that he has had a, a kind of lasting effort in some even small part of the of of the world he 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 was he, he was uh he was a unique talent in his way and and i'm i'm very happy to have participated so thank you very much and um i will say good night and goodbye good night goodbye and uh thank you for home to emily it's again one of the best theme songs in history oh great thanks stolen dress sidecasts stolen dress entertainment Hey, it's my turn. Ah!